invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we'll be looking at chapter 2, verse 11, through the end of the chapter. (coughs) (coughs) Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 11, Paul has been reminding us and his readers then of uh, just the great grace that God has shown to them in Christ. By grace, they've been saved through faith, not of themselves. It is a gift of God. And, and that we are now work, the, God's workmanship, uh, and we are called to do good works <clears throat> that God has prepared for us to do. <clears throat> Let's, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that. <clears throat> Picking it up in verse 11 then. Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh God in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, your word and for what you reveal here, what the gospel does and what grace can do. And I pray, O oh God, that this morning we would delight in these riches and these truths together. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart to embrace all that you have for us in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is Gospel Reconciliation. Uh, that is, of course, a hot topic in our world today. Um, over the past few years, the market has been flooded with books and articles uh, talking specifically about reconciliation and, and uh, telling us what we must do to bring peace and harmony uh, to our nation, our, our society. And I have to say, um, it doesn't seem to be working. Commentators routinely point out that our nation is angrier and more alienated than ever before. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, we have a radical countercultural proclamation that there is only one thing in all the world that can truly accomplish reconciliation, and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul has been highlighting here in Ephesians uh, the, the wonders of the gospel as uh, he begins in chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, the gospel is the magnificent story of what God has done and is doing in Christ for the salvation of sinners and for the healing of this world, and all by grace and all to His glory. And in our text this morning, we see that the uh, salvation that God has brought into this world is not just, <clears throat> it's not just about individual salvation and individual transformation, but it is about societal and cultural transformation as well. God is not just creating individual saints by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is creating a whole new humanity. In a sense, a new race, a new people, a new kingdom. The gospel isn't just about 
uh, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, the gospel is about all that God is doing in Christ um, to restore this broken, alienated world. And the glory of the gospel is that it reveals that, uh, or let me say it this way, the glory of the gospel is that it engages the issues of our day in ways that are diametrically opposed to the ways of this world and in ways that bring glory and honor to God. And so the, uh, the, the result of the gospel, the, the fruit of the gospel, you could say, touches on issues that matter to our world, touches on issues like racial reconciliation and social justice and gender equality. And uh, some of you may think that those sound like progressive political issues, but in truth they are fruit of the gospel issues. That God is making war with all the things that have brought alienation and animosity into our world. And, uh, And God is engaging those things in a unique, radical powerful way in Jesus Christ. The, uh, the, the world today seems to have been captured by the conviction uh, that the way to achieve social harmony and racial reconciliation <clears throat> is by <clears throat> airing grievances, demanding retribution, uh, and discriminating against those who are deemed to have been oppressors. And so Ibrahim Kendi, a leading voice in our culture today, uh, says the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. And so Kendi's uh, proposal is reconciliation through discrimination. Well, let me ask you, how's that going for our society? Uh, does it look like that's working? How about reconciliation through airing grievances and demanding people adopt categories? Uh, like white fragility, and ideologies like CRT. How's it going? Are we seeing wonderful social healing take place? And I'm not arguing for or against those things, I'm just saying how's it working? Does it seem to be going well? Do we see a harmonious, gracious, generous society coming into view? Because we've been talking about this for a while now, and the... And the, the, uh, the, the the advocates of these things are, are everywhere. How does it seem to be working? Well, it doesn't seem to be working well at all. Why not? Well, because human wisdom and human strength are powerless to create a true, just, and harmonious society. Racial discrimination and every other wicked and wrong thing in the world exists because of man's rebellion against God and God's subsequent judgment on the world. That's why the world is the way it is. People are at war with God, and because we're at war with God, we are at war with one another. That is the story of human history. But in the gospel, we find that another story has intervened, the story of infinite mercy and grace, where the God who placed this world under the curse is a God who's also sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to remove the curse. So that in Jesus Christ, a new thing is happening. A new humanity, in a sense, is being formed. People who have, by grace, been reconciled to God and thus reconciled to one another. That's the message of Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And Paul explains then that reconciliation, true reconciliation happens when people acknowledge their spiritual alienation and then lay hold of Christ's gospel work of reconciliation. And so we'll look at those things this morning. First, spiritual alienation. Paul says, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He says, I want you to remember, Gentiles, there was a time when you Gentiles um, and you Jews were not getting along, right? So Paul's writing to people who lived in a world full of hostility, like our world today. And the primary example and illustration of social animosity in those days was the the relationship, if you could call it that, between the Jews and the Gentiles. They truly hated each other. 
Uh, William Barclay says the Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentiles. They believed that Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. It was not even lawful to render to a Gentile mother, and, and to, to render help to a Gentile, Gentile so let me start that all over. <clears throat> they believed that Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in labor. For that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. The barrier between Jew and Gentile was absolute. If a Jewish young man or woman married a Gentile, the parents were instructed to have a funeral for such a contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. And of course, you can only imagine how the Gentiles responded to that sort of animosity. Uh, they, they responded with animosity of their own. And so there are centuries and centuries of injustice and hateful prejudice between these two groups. So Paul is saying something stunning to the world of his day when he says that these two groups, these two thoroughly segregated and mutually despising communities have come together in peace and harmony and have been made one in Jesus Christ. That's astonishing. No one would have imagined it possible. And yet, Old injustices and grievances and prejudices had all died under the reign of grace. And in their place, there was a new thing in the world, a new creation, the redeemed, reconciled church of Jesus Christ, made up of people from all different social, eth uh, social classes, ethnic, economic, racial, uh, it, it, there, uh, People from every distinction that the world can think of have come together and they're a family, a loving, harmonious, peaceful family. Now, how did that happen? Well, it happened by the power of grace. Uh, Paul begins by reminding the, Gentile, uh, the Gentiles in Ephesus of, of what they once were. They were the uncircumcision. And he speaks very frankly about their lost condition. In verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is a really dire spiritual picture. Separated from Christ means separated from all the blessings that God pours out on sinners in Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Well, for most Gentiles, that was a good thing. They wanted nothing to do with Israel. But Paul explains that to be separated from the commonwealth of Israel is to be separated from God. God's covenant was with Israel. The law and the promises were to Israel. And so the, the, the Gentiles being separated from God's covenant community were, in fact, without hope and without God in the world. No hope of pardon from sin, no hope of eternal life, apart from God, without God, literally Godless, which means they're cut off from the author of life, cut off from all the glory and the beauty and the truth and the grace that comes from God, destined for an eternity without God. And Paul says, I want you to remember these things. He says it in verse 11, and he says it again in verse 12. Remember these things. Why? <clears throat> because these are the essential things. The great crisis, Paul is saying, in the lives of these Gentiles was not whatever injustice or prejudice they had experienced at the hands of the Jews, and they had experienced plenty. But the great crisis of their life is that they were without God in this world. They were without hope. They were without Christ. That was the great crisis of their life. And that's a really important point. <clears throat> you see, as long as our world thinks that their grievances are their greatest crises and justice is their greatest need, they will not be able to hear a message of salvation by grace to sinners. They'll be offended by that message. Because that suggests that there's something wrong with them. 
And they're con- they've, been con- they've been convinced that what's wrong is the way other people treat them. That's what's wrong. And so it's highly offensive to come and say, no, actually, the crisis of your life is that you are a rebel at war with the living God. And you need to repent. You see, that message will simply fall on deaf ears. It's not the message they're looking for. As long as people see themselves as victims, they will cling to their grievance, they will fight for their justice, and they will die in their sin. Every single one of them. And that means they will be eternally without Jesus Christ. That should matter to Christians. You see, Paul wants them to remember Remember what they once were apart from Christ because, you see, that truth is what makes grace glorious. And the grace that reconciled them to God is the grace that has reconciled them to one another. The gospel has the power to bring reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles not by resolving the hostilities. It's not what the text says. The gospel accomplishes reconciliation by killing the hostilities by the power of grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ. I love how the text says Jesus killed the hostility, verse 16. How did he kill the hostility? Well, that's what Paul talks about next as he speaks of blood-bought reconciliation. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is is the great story of the gospel. Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. That's the core beauty of the gospel. God acting in Christ reconciling rebels to himself. God has bridged the chasm of alienation that existed between us and God himself. Uh, As the precious blood of Jesus Christ was poured out on this sin-cursed earth, the rift was healed. The chasm was crossed. The, The curse was turned back. Sin had been atoned for. Redemption had been made so that sinners could be reconciled to God. I love the old hymn, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's where reconciliation happens. And Paul wants them to remember that this is what you once were, but now. New reality, new age, but now. No longer far off from God. Now brought near as sons and daughters of God. No longer alienated from Christ. Now united to Christ. Now in Christ. The great crisis of our alienation and sin has been resolved in Jesus. And that blood-bought peace with God flows over into peace among men. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus accomplished something on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility. Well, how did he do that? Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby Killing the hostility. Just notice the key phrases. He himself is our peace. Not a program, not an ideology, not, a, uh, not an experience. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. We find peace, and, and it's the only way to find peace, through union, communion with Jesus. Secondly, he's broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility. Well, how did that happen? Well, well Paul realizes and, and, and Paul sees that in Jesus, in his flesh, in his crucified body, something happened. 
by his sacrifice, Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So Paul is thinking here about all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, uh, the sacrifices and the, and the ceremonial cleansings, the, the tabernacle and temple later on. All the regulations that apply to the, the, the worship of Israel in that sense, by fulfilling them, which Jesus did, he abolished them, and by abolishing them, he abolished all the things the Jews used to pride themselves. Why were the Jews so proud? Well, because they had, they had all the laws of God and all the promises of God, and they were descendants of Abraham, and they did it right. They went to the tabernacle. They offered sacrifices to the one true God. They went through the ceremonial right, cleansings and trusted in them. But when, when Jesus comes, all these sort of trappings of Judaism having been fulfilled, disappear. So there's nothing left to distinguish between Jews and Gentiles. Not before God. As Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 1 and, uh, and 3, there's, there's no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no difference. You see, this, this truth of universal guilt before God is what Paul is, is, is pressing home. And it's a, it's a truth that needs to be pressed home in our day because it's, it's being forgotten and ignored by Christians. I've heard professing Christians, names that you might recognize, saying publicly that whiteness is wicked, that white people are inherently and uniquely racist, Well, brothers and sisters, that says there is a difference, doesn't it? That says there is a difference. That's exactly the sort of thing that Jews and Gentiles would have once said about each other. They were convinced there was something inherently and uniquely evil about Jews or about Gentiles, which is why they could justify their hatred of each other. Well, for a Christian then to suggest the same thing just is diametrically opposed to the core of the Christian message. There is no difference. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are in desperate need of grace. And Paul says, you see, Jesus killed all such hostility by removing the grounds of hostility. Hostility, you see, is is rooted in pride. That I'm somehow better. And Jesus destroys all basis for pride at the cross. Notice, Paul points to the cross, the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's how it happened. He destroyed the basis for Jewish pride by abolishing their precious ceremonies and exposing the Jews as sinners in need of grace. And he destroys Gentile pride by exposing their utterly lost condition, desperately in need of grace. And he brings the Jews and the Gentiles together as sinners at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ where they find reconciliation. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. No longer Jews and Gentiles. Now one church which enfolds all the social distinctions into one new body. Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we, when we get to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, we realize there's no difference. There's nothing to pride ourselves on. And see, friends, the work of God today is to bring people then to the foot of the cross of Jesus. And there at the cross to create one new body, one new humanity, out of all the disparate warring factions of this world. God is at work through the church today creating a new humanity made up of sinners who've come to Christ for life by grace through faith. Now let me just quickly say, does not mean that justice issues don't matter. Of course they matter. They matter to God. <clears throat> but Christians, or let me say it this way, people
people will never be able to have fruitful conversations about justice and how to enact justice in our world unless they're having that conversation at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. As sinners who have equally sinned against a holy God and as sinners who equally receive the marvelous outpouring grace of God. Because when, when you stand there at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, the reconciliation has already happened. It's already happened. And you can embrace each other as brothers and sisters and have your conversation and work together for things that glorify God. This is a vision that's being, I'm, unfortunately, I think it's being lost undermined. But Jesus is doing something, has been from the beginning. Jesus is creating a new humanity. And in, um, in the latter part of chapter 2 here, Paul talks about how uh, what Jesus is doing is, is building this new building on a, on a new foundation, the foundation of the apostles. You see, the, the reason the world cannot ever achieve peace on its own is it, is it doesn't have a foundation for peace. There's only rival agendas and warring ideologies springing from profoundly self-centered, self-serving, self-righteous hearts. That's the conversation our world is having today. But the gospel tears down old walls and builds a brand new foundation, on uh, the foundation laid by the apostles, which is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul then piles up truth upon truth about what that means, the, the unity we now have in Jesus. Verse 18, through him we both, Jews and Gentiles, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Red, yellow, black, or white, it does not matter. Male, female, slave, or free, all have full access by one spirit through Jesus, by the Spirit, to the Father. So then, verse 19 you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens means we belong to the kingdom of God. And notice we're not just citizens, we're fellow citizens. In other words, we share our citizenship with every person around the globe who names the name of Jesus Christ. We are heirs together. We are a body, a family, a unit, fellow citizens, and members of God's household. We belong to a family. One of the, things, uh, one of the reasons that God places uh, children in families, boys and girls, just a note to tuck away, one of the reasons that God put you in a family with a mom and a dad or uh, parents and a brother and sister is to teach you that the world actually doesn't resolve, revolve all around you. Uh, that's sort of our native belief that the world exists for me. And, and you come into a family and you're bumping into other people and you realize, well, it, it just doesn't work that way. Well, it's the same in the church. God has put us in a family to break us out of sort of our addiction to ourselves and to realize that we are doing this together with a family, brothers and sisters. And we share all the most important things in common, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, one Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers us, one mission in this world, one destiny in the world to come. We are the temple of God. That's what Paul says. We're the temple of God, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone, but we are a place, the church, where God dwells. Here in the church is something that the world has no understanding or cognizance of it. This is something the world has no, um, there's nothing similar, nothing like it. A church is a place where God himself dwells by his spirit. In the church, God is building a place where the brokenness of this fallen world is being mended. And God is once again, like in Eden of old, dwelling with his people. And here we experience the reality of peace with God and peace with one another through the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when that peace breaks down, 
then we just got to go back again to the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and remember who we are, what we were, what he's done. Friends, the Lord's table this morning is Ephesians 2 in, in action. Here we remember what we once were, and here we remember the blood that reconciled us. Here we remember who we are now in Jesus Christ. And all the distinctions and divisions of the world fall away. Here we are all the same. There's no difference. Sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the mercy of God and the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And here at the foot of the cross, this is where we die to grievances and rejoice in grace. As we delight and celebrate what God has done in Jesus Christ to us and for us. He's reconciled us to God. He's made us the family of God. And so, brothers and sisters, as we come to the table this morning, look around you and eat and drink and remember and believe all that God is doing in the church through Jesus for His glory. Amen. Oh, God, our Father, thank You that You are doing something new, something beautiful. And Father, we find that there is rebellion and frustration in our own hearts as we experience the wounds of other people, as we experience broken relationships. And Father, I thank you that you call us today to a place where we can find rest and peace. As you call us to face our sins against you, and what we once were, and what we deserve in judgment, and what we've received in grace. And Father, I just pray that that would kill the rebellion, the frustration, the hostility, the anger in our heart. And we embrace what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And we walk together as brothers and sisters. And we stand together for the gospel and for grace. And we call out to, Lord, this lost world. In the midst of all of its animosity, all of its, all of its fighting, all of its protesting, and we call out for people to come and be reconciled to the God who made them and find peace that only God can give. And Father, I pray that the church would have a clear message in our world that we stand for the gospel, we stand for grace, and the power that grace has to transform our lives, to transform our community, to transform the world. And we'll give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we have the privilege of <clears throat> proclaiming together the Lord's death until He come as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'd like to ask the elders uh, to come forward. Um, this is a table that Jesus Christ has given to His church. This is a table <clears throat> where we invite anyone who has professed faith in, in Christ and is a, a member of a Bible-believing church under the supervision of Christ's elders, uh, you are welcome to join us at the table today. If you, um, if you are not yet a professing member of a, a, a Christian church, we would just in, invite you to, to make that happen. Um, you can be seated. Um, ask yourself, why have I not professed my faith? And maybe it's because you're struggling with your faith. If that's the case, come and talk to us. We'd love to just open the word with you and help you to see the truth of the gospel and what Jesus means for you. Uh, maybe you're living this morning in unrepentant sin, and uh, you just realize that uh, at this point in your life, you're committed to your, your sin. You're committed to your, yourself. And, and if that's your case this morning, um, then take this time just to pause and refrain from the elements, but spend this time in prayer. Lord, soften my heart. Jesus loves to answer those prayers. Open my eyes. Give me freedom from my bondage to myself and my sin. This is a time where we do business with God in a real way as we take these elements that Jesus has given to us and we receive them in faith, trusting 
Jesus himself is serving us. Jesus himself is calling us to believe and to experience the life and the transformation that he gives through the gospel. Let's just ask the Lord's blessings to come to the table. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that we do this not just individually at home in our closet, uh, but Lord, we do this together, surrounded by brothers and sisters. And people, Lord, that we love, uh, people, Lord, maybe that sometimes frustrate us, maybe people that have hurt us. And yet this morning we come to the foot of the cross and we pour contempt on all of our pride. And here, Lord, we recognize that the great story of our life is the grace that we've been given in Jesus Christ, where the God that we've offended has loved us and poured out mercy upon us. And we are now free to have access to the Father, and we are free to love each other. And Lord, I pray this morning that old grievances would melt away, bitterness would be removed, that, Lord Jesus, you would fill our hearts with genuine love and affection for one another in Christ and a desire to call the world to share in this miracle of reconciliation through the gospel. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it in the presence of his disciples and he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. As the bread is being distributed, we are going to sing together when I survey the wondrous cross.
Jesus Christ has destroyed the hostility at the foot of the cross. And uh, this morning, then, he calls us to remember and believe that we've been reconciled to God our Father in heaven, reconciled forever. And we've been reconciled with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as you take the, the bread that Jesus gives, eat and remember as the family of God all that Christ has accomplished for us by his grace. Eat, remember, and believe. After the supper, our Lord Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and gave thanks and said to, to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Just remind you that the grape juice is on the uh, outside ring, the wine is on the inside rings, and we're going to sing together how sweet and awesome is the place.
Our Lord Jesus knows us. Our Lord Jesus loves us. Uh, he wants us to remember that he gave his life for us and that that sacrifice on the cross so long ago is meant to be experienced, believed, uh, trusted in, and transformative in our day, in our life. And so as you drink uh, this gift of God, this gift of Jesus Christ, drink, remember, and believe that Jesus' blood was shed out, was poured out for a complete remission of all your sin and a transformation of your life to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that your grace is rich and full and sufficient and free. And thank you, O God, that in Jesus Christ you have bridged the chasm between, between sinner and a holy God. And I thank you, O Father, that in Jesus Christ you are building a new humanity, and we long to be a part of that. I thank you that you've made us a part of that, and, and that by the power of grace in our life, Lord, we are learning to love. We are learning, Lord, to grow together, built on the foundation of the apostles. As we follow Christ, trust Christ, delight in Christ, as we die to self, humble our pride. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us the grace as a church to be a place where gospel peace and harmony reign through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, that we would be increasingly a church where, Lord, this message of reconciliation would be broadcast to our community, our friends and neighbors, and that we would be inviting others to come and join us as the people saved by grace, all for the glory of God. We pray it in your name. Amen. The deacons will now come and receive a gift for the benevolent offering, a, a way that we show the grace and mercy of Jesus to others, and so the deacons will come forward at this time. Together, I will sing of my Redeemer as the deacons are collecting the offering.
go with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.